Welcome to uh, Easter Sunday morning on 2000, in 2023. Um, this will be my 29th opportunity to share um, the Easter story or to talk about the Easter story, to preach about the Easter story um, since I became a pastor. This will be uh, wrapping up 30 years of ministry for me this year, this coming September. And so, you know, as a pastor, you're always like, how do you tell this story over again? How do you tell this story? How do you tell this story and make it um, significant? How do you look at what happened in in the Easter story. And as I was wrestling with this a couple of weeks ago and trying to decide which way to go with some of my ideas, um, I felt like the Lord said, go this way. For me, Easter is a promise. Okay, and, and I'll, I'll leave that with you, and we're going to look at the promise, the, the promise that we're lingering and waiting on um, right now as Christian people. But I want to talk to you about the promises. God is a promise um, keeper as well as a promise maker. And some of the things in the Bible that God has uh, promised you and I uh, are, are things that we need to grab a hold of. Some of the things that God has promised in the Bible, we grab a hold of, but they're not ours. Okay, now you can buy um, um, spiritual divination if you want, and I don't mean that in, a, in an evil way. I mean, you can determine that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I want you to take hold of this promise as well. And I'll give you that. I, I, that that's fine. I'm just saying that there are promises in the Bible that I have seen people take way out of context that, that have nothing to do with what the Lord is trying to say in that context in the Scripture, but they've made it their promise that God better show up and he better put out. You know, and it's like, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's look at what I call um, or what I refer to in my own life as the Easter promise. Okay, that's what I want to talk about today is the Easter promise. Did you know that there's approximately 1,665 years from the time that uh, uh, Moses ran out of Egypt, out into the dark, into the wilderness, um, just chasing after God and the um, Easter Sunday morning? 1,665 years, as close as I could determine through a little bit of study. And then there's another 1,990 years from the resurrection until now. And we stop and we say, hey, does that really matter? And yes, as a matter of fact, it does. It really does matter. This is like um, 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 1,665 years from Moses saying, let my people go. And Jesus coming up out of the grave saying to the devil, I have made sure you have to let my people go. You don't have a choice in the matter. Okay. And, and for us, we call that Easter, but there's a scripture in here that God gives a promise to Moses. And I want to take you all the way back because believe it or not, Easter is founded in the Passover, which is a Jewish festival that they use to recognize and to look into the time that God saved them from their bondage and freed them and brought them into their, eventually, into their own land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And we're, and we're going to see that. So I'm going to do this out of um, Exodus chapter 6, beginning at uh, verse 1. Just going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll talk about Moses and where he is and why he's doing this. It's going to show up on the screen, so it will be up there for you to read, but you can follow along in a Bible or on your Bible app. I am somebody that believes that Jesus would have a Bible app and he would carry it all on his Bible because he can carry so much more on a Bible app than he can carry in his hands while he's doing ministry. But there, that's up for discussion. We can argue about that later. The scripture begins in uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive, he's talking about the Hebrew children, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, he's talking to Moses, therefore I want you to say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you up out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And this is what I'm looking at. God is saying to, uh, to Moses, and, and, and he's just kind of letting him know that this is the situation. And, and, and he says, I'm making you a promise, Moses. This is about what is going to unfold right now. And the crazy part is, Moses is going to follow God simply based on God giving him that promise. Now, you and I might say, well, yeah, if the Lord spoke to me in the thunder and the lightning and shook the ground and said, I would do whatever he said. You know, you say that, but just keep looking through the Bible every time the Lord speaks to Jesus or the Lord speaks to Moses and nobody did what the Lord said, even though they heard it. So it's like, maybe we wouldn't. But in the meantime, we recognize that the Lord God Almighty spoke to Moses and said, this is the promise, and you're going to lead these people out there. And in this story, Moses literally does that and takes what they assume to be about 1.6 million people out into the wilderness just based on the promise that God gave him. God gave him a promise. You ever had somebody make a promise to you and then not keep it? I promise you this is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to go down, and this is the deal. You know, we do that, and, 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 and I think, you know, children are the ones that, that make us aware of it more than any other person in our lives, because it, 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 they're the ones that will come and say, you promised! What you said was maybe, but you promised! You promised we would do that, you promised we, you would make this for me, you promised you would buy me this, you promised this, you promised that! I remember, you know... Your mom might be one like mine. It's like, well, honey, you know, one day we'll get you a dog. And it's like, mm, never happened. Never happened for me as a kid. It's like, Lord, where's my dog? And it's like, come on, man. But we promise, and then we back out of them. Maybe a boss made a promise to you about a raise or a position, an opportunity, and then Nothing. Maybe a spouse said to you, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, and things got poorer, sicker, and worse, and they bailed on you. They ran off for somebody younger, prettier, smarter, richer, more handsome, a captain of his industry that could provide for you the way that it could make you happy because you deserve to be happy. See, we live in a world where a person's word doesn't matter anymore. I believe that. I believe that we, we live in a world where a promise is just a pretty good idea of what might could happen if we head in that direction. And if it doesn't happen, then it's like, okay, well, it didn't happen. It didn't work out. That's how we normally say it. It didn't work out. And so it's going to die a slow death. But we serve a God who's a promise maker. But more than that, he's a promise keeper. When the Lord says something will happen, will be, will take place, he makes that 
take place. And nothing is more important than the promise that he made to the Israelites on that specific night concerning the Passover so many, 3,665 years ago, whatever it was um, ago, that he made this promise. And this was the promise. And don't, don't take my word for it. Don't ever take my word for it. Open up the Bible and read it for yourself. But this was a promise that he made to the, the Hebrew children through Moses. He said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, he said, if my people, if the people, if the people will obey God, that they would be passed over, the death angel would pass over them, okay, and he would make them incredibly wealthy, and he would lead them out into a land of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey, into prosperity. Parisos, John 10.10. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that word abundantly is parisos, and it means exceedingly, vehemently. I didn't put the word vehemently in there. The, the, the translator did. Exceedingly, vehemently more than the people around you. Now, I keep telling you, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity sort of guy. I will tell you what I am. I am a kid that was raised in absolute sin, and it was terrible, and I got saved, and I got a dad that loves me now, and I can walk into his office anytime I want to and say, Dad, can I have a dog? And he might say no. But he hasn't yet. And my wife has said no. But not the Lord. Not my Father in heaven. But he has permission to say no because he's the Lord. I believe that we have that kind of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that blood. But don't take my word for it. You're going to see it as we look at the Scripture today. But you can read it in Exodus 11, 12, and 13 for yourself. And I would encourage you to do it. So here's the deal. You know, up to this point, Moses is, you know, he's been raised in the palace. He ran from the palace because he murdered a guy. He's been 40 years out in the wilderness. He married a pagan, uh, his daughter. I mean, yeah, a pagan's daughter. And he's decided, I guess he's going to be a shepherd the rest of his life. He sees the burning bush. He has an experience with God. And I'm just going through real fast. And God says, hey, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to finally, I hear my children crying out. And, and they're under all this bondage and suffering. They've been there for 470 some years. And I want you to go down there. And I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And you, you know Moses like, I can't talk well. I can't do this well. Send somebody else. It's not me. Oh, what if they say no? What if they tell you who sent you? What if they say this? What if they say that? And God says, this is how it's going to be. And so Moses is like, okay. So he goes down and he tells the Hebrew children, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to deal. Um, God is going to you know, lead us out. We need to go out in the wilderness and we've got to worship. And we're going to do this thing. I want you guys to believe in me. It's going to happen. And so then he goes and tells Pharaoh, hey, this is the deal. And I'm just paraphrasing this thing really fast for you. And so then Pharaoh says, hmm. All those Hebrew slaves seem to have enough time to complain with each other and to have this guy Moses come in here. I guess they don't have enough work to do. So from now on, instead of just building things out of bricks for us, they're going to have to go make the bricks by going and getting their own straw. We're not going to provide the straw. Now you've got to get your own materials to make the materials to do the building that you have to do. And the Hebrew children started complaining against Moses. Like, oh, for crying out loud, things just went from bad to worse. Moses, who do you think you are? And you won't find that in the Scripture. That's my paraphrase. But just know that, that that's about what it says. And that's about the attitude that it says it in. Okay, And so... When it's all said and done, Moses goes back and says, Lord! And the Lord says, Moses, I, I got a plan, buddy. I got a plan. I am going to open Pharaoh's eyes. Pharaoh is going to kick you out of Egypt after he makes you some of the, don't take my word for it, read it for yourself, makes you some of the most wealthy people on the planet. And then he's going to drive you out into the wilderness where there's no stores to spend it, but you'll still be wealthy. And it will be good. 
and then I'm going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And the promise to Abraham was you're going to inherit vines that you did, or vineyards that you didn't plant, houses that you didn't build, cities that you didn't put wall up. And do. He, he made them this big promise. And so that's where Moses is. And so what I want to talk about is these 10 plagues. He keeps saying, Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then when Pharaoh says, no, we're not going to let your people go, then God says, okay, I'm going to visit on a, a plague on him. And maybe you've heard those plagues. Maybe you've heard of the ten plagues of Egypt. They're not the ten plagues of Egypt. See, we keep doing that. It's not Noah's ark. It's God's ark that Noah built. It's not the plagues of Egypt. It's God's plagues that he visited upon Egypt as a punishment, as a judgment, he said, as we do this. But these are the ten plagues of Egypt right here that you may or may not be familiar with. The first one was Moses steps, uh, put his staff out there when uh, Pharaoh said he wouldn't let his people go, and the water all over Egypt, according to Scripture, became blood, just like that just became blood. And the magicians of Pharaoh stepped up and they said, we can do that. And they turned some water, I don't know if it was in a pot or in a bunch of cups, but they turned the water to blood and said, hey, we can do that. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where somebody has slaughtered an animal, or maybe if you're a hunter, you've you know, killed something, took it home, and the blood all dripped out in your garage or something. Um, you know, w- when you do that to an animal, it's like, it stinks. It smells bad. The blood gets pretty rancid pretty fast. Can you imagine all the water in all of Egypt turning into blood and how nasty That had to have been just absolutely nasty. But Pharaoh's magicians did it, so Pharaoh said, get out of my sight, and and Moses left. He was, Lord, Pharaoh said no. And so Lord says, go back and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses went back, tell him, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And uh, God said, okay, then I'm going to visit frogs upon the land. And so frogs covered absolutely everything. Frogs came in the front door. Frogs went out the back door. Frogs were in the bathroom. Frogs were in the bathtubs. Frogs were in the toilets. Frogs were in the sink. Frogs were in the, uh, up all over the counters. Frogs were inside the cabinets. Frogs were in the kneading bowls that they punched the, the, the bread down when they made bread, okay? The frogs were absolutely, you could not go anywhere except that there were frogs and they were nasty and they were awful and it was gross. Have you ever been somewhere where there's been like a frog migration? I have. I have. I was driving my car. I used to have a 74 Charger. I thought it was all that. Um, and I had, I have to say this because it's important to the story, but I, for those of you that are like closer to my age, I had L-sized tires on the back and m size on the front and M-sized tires on the back, okay? So they were like a mile wide. This thing was low down and nasty looking when it was coming at you, okay? And it was bad. And so I was on Musselman Road up in New Carlisle, Ohio, and Musselman Road goes like this. It goes this, this way, this way, that way, and then that way. And there's a swamp on either side of the road. And I was going up there one night, and it was springtime, and the frogs were crossing the road. And I don't mean a couple of frogs were crossing the road. I mean it looked like the, the road in front of me and my headlights was boiling because they were hopping across the road like this. And it was probably about a 100-yard stretch of frogs crossing the road. And I was not going to turn around. And so I just slowed way down, and it's like, this is going to get nasty And sure enough, I just drove those big wide tires right over top of the frogs and just went, oh, like, because I'm not really all about just killing animals for the sake of killing animals. But I didn't want to spend gas to go back and go the long way around. And so I just went through. And and here's the deal. They're banging on the bottom of my car. Bang, 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 bang. It was gross. I, I sprayed, washed, cleaned frogs out from underneath of my car for weeks. It was just nasty. I cannot imagine Egypt covered in frogs. And if that's not bad, this is the one plague where Moses says, Pharaoh, 
Why don't you tell me when you want these frogs to leave your presence and I'll go tell God and he'll make that happen. And Pharaoh thinks about it for a minute and he says, how about tomorrow? Why on earth do you want to live in your sin? Wallow in your sin. Be subject to oppression by your sin. The frogs. There's a representation there. All day until... Why not just say, how about uh, in 20 minutes, Moses, get rid of them. Why, why not that? But then the fact of the matter is, they all died the next day. All the frogs died. And it was nasty. It was nasty. We get done with the frogs, and then the gnats come. Those little tiny itty-bitty biting things. Some of you call them no or something like that in this state. Um, you know, you're just sitting there, and for no reason, suddenly you, you just feel like you're being eaten by something. And you can't see what it is, but it's a little tiny gnat that's flying around, and you finally find it, and you're like, hey, baby, we're not standing out here and having a picnic. Me and the kids are going inside where there's air conditioning and no gnats. And I planned all this food. We're going to have a picnic. They know we're not. The, the, the noceums are going to have a picnic. We're going in the house. Okay, we're going to have like, you know, shredded wheat. It's going to be great. Um, and so you do that. But we're talking like biting, nasty, swarming all over, landing on man and animal alike. And here's the deal. I love in this particular plague where the, the, the uh, magicians come to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And what they're saying is, you might want to start paying attention to this guy, Moses. Because it's getting kind of nasty. We've had blood in the water. We've had frogs everywhere. They're gross. They're, they're, they're biodegrading. and they're, It's getting nasty. And now we've got these gnats. And you can't get away from them because they didn't have any spray off. They might have had citronella. They might have had lemon that they could have put on themselves. But they did not have the off spray stuff. And then the next thing that comes down the line is these flies. And it's just... A, um, swarms and swarms of flies. They get in the palace. They're everywhere. They're thick as flies. The land, the scripture says, was ruined by the, the, by the flies, except Goshen, where the Israelites were. That didn't get bad, okay? And then God was showing the distinction between the Hebrew children and the world. And then we go from that to the plague on the livestock. And the plague on the livestock, we've got the Egyptians. Uh, all their livestock is beginning to fall over dead, but not one animal belonging to the Hebrew children fell over dead. And then the plague of boils comes along, and Aaron and Moses took fistfuls of soot and threw it into the air, and boils, festering, itchy, pussy boils broke out all over people and animals alike. And it was so nasty that the magicians couldn't be in Moses' presence because they were just, you know, all that gross, nasty stuff that's there. And then the next thing that happens um, is that the, God sends the hail. And the hail, like the world has never seen hail before, comes down, strips the trees, kills animals. Anything that was not inside got destroyed, except in Goshen, where the Hebrew children were. And some of Pharaoh's ministers believed that God was behind this and actually went home and put some of their livestock and their people inside so that they wouldn't die. But the crops were absolutely devastated, except not the wheat crop, because it can handle it. It's coming up. It's up out of the ground just a little bit. No problem. And Pharaoh still says, you're not going anywhere, Moses. And so the next thing that happened is God sends locusts, the little hoppers. And the little hoppers come in on a, on a, a, a west wind, a east wind, east wind. Anyway, the, yeah, east wind covers the land and all the locusts come in and they're crawling over everything and eating everything. And there goes the wheat. The wheat's gone. It's destroyed now. It's been eaten. And there's nothing green left. And that's all the way it is. And when um, um, Pharaoh relents, then the, uh, another wind comes in going the other way and blows them all back out. And then he decides that since they're gone, he changes his mind. And he says, nope, you're still not going into the wilderness. And that's how it's going to be. 
And then the next plague comes along, the ninth plague. And Moses doesn't even go to Pharaoh. The ninth plague comes, and Pharaoh and Aaron go out, stretch their hand out, and darkness covers the land of Egypt. It just gets black. The scripture says it stayed black for three days, and it was so dark that nobody left where they were. Nobody went anywhere. It stayed this kind of dark. You can't work. You can't feed animals. You can't find animals. You can't find people that weren't at home. It was dark, except for the children of Israel, because in Goshen, there was still light. But it was dark. And Pharaoh still would not let the children of Israel go. And finally comes the plague of the firstborn. And Moses shares with him what's about to happen. He lays it all out for him. He tells them, tell the children of Israel this, Moses, go ask all your neighbors for articles of silver and gold. We know that that extends into fine linens. It extends into brass, bronze, all kinds of really ornate, nice things. God made the Israelites rich. The people of Egypt paid them to leave Egypt. They went out into the wilderness. And God said, about midnight, I'm going to go throughout Egypt and kill every firstborn from Pharaoh's house to the lowest dog. And this is where we have the prescription for the Passover feast. Where God says that, you know, but I'm going to save the children of Israel. But here's the deal. And it's just like our salvation. It's just like Noah's salvation. It's just like the salvations that God continues to bring to humanity. And humanity continues to ignore God. Ignores Him completely. He said, I will save you if you will do things my way. It's the promise that God made that if you will follow me and do what I ask of you because I'm trying to love you and I'm trying to protect you and I'm trying to fulfill my promise to you, if you will just do things my way, I will do incredible things in your life. I will make you so rich and you will have a land of your own, God tells the, the, the Israelites. And he tells them, this is what I want to happen. He said, on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, I want you to bring a lamb into the house, a lamb. The lamb is going to live in the house until the 14th day, and then I want you to slaughter the lamb at twilight. And then I want you to take the blood of the lamb, and I want you to spread it on the upright doorposts and across the lintel of your house. And he says, and when the, and the death angel comes, and he, and he starts killing all the firstborns from Pharaoh's household to all the dogs of Egypt. If you can imagine that, all the firstborn horses of the horses, all the firstborn donkeys of the donkeys, all the firstborn goats, all the firstborn sheep, all the firstborn dogs. Dogs are pretty important to me. Kills them all. But more than that, all the firstborn children, all the firstborn people that are adults now are going to fall over dead. He says, if you'll put this blood, the blood of the lamb, on your house, the death angel will pass over you. And so at midnight, this is what I want you to do, because that's when he's coming, at midnight. He said, I want you to eat this lamb that you just slaughtered. And he says, I want you to take this lamb into your house and you have to eat every bit of it. You eat the whole lamb. It doesn't say bring a, a, a lamb into your house and have a lamb dinner. It says you figure, God, the, the Lord says this, don't take my word for it. The scripture says the Lord said you figure how much your family can eat and you bring the whole thing into your house and you eat it all. And the parts that you don't eat, you consume those, you burn them all up. But if you... If you have lamb left, you failed God. 
So you've got to get another family that maybe is too small to have their own lamb, and they come eat lamb with you. A lamb can be up to a year old. So you, you figure how much, the scripture says, figure out how much lamb your family can eat and bring that lamb into your house and play with that lamb and feed that lamb and take care of that lamb and let that lamb be your friend and let it be your pet. But on the fourth day, you bring it in on the 10th day of the month, but on the 14th day of the month, I want you to slaughter that lamb that was your friend, that was your fun, that was your children's pet. And then I want you to spread the, the blood on the, on the lamppost. He said, and I want you to eat it ready to run. He said, because it's going to get ugly in here. He said, you be packed and ready to leave so that when the death angel comes, you're on your way out. Because I imagine it got ugly. You know, they were probably just human nature, being what it is. They were probably human um, Hebrew children that were like, Moses, we aren't doing that. There's no doubt in my mind that there were. And they died. There. Because they said, we don't have to do what God says, Moses. We don't have to do it his way. We'll just follow you anyway. You can't keep us from following you. Moses didn't need to. He wanted them to come with him. But the fact of the matter was, without the blood, their firstborn child died. Their firstborn male died. And we recognize, as we think about this little lamb, that the Scripture tells us that John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not only did it keep them from dying and being killed by the death angel in Moses' day, but 1,665 years later, he brought us salvation and freedom from the enemy that plagues our lives. The blood of the Lamb the sacrificial lamb. Jesus went into Israel, into Judah, uh, Judea, excuse me, to, to celebrate Passover, this very thing that I just told you about. That's where he was going. And Passover turned into Easter. But it started as Passover. The blood of the lamb became my blood, my salvation, my saving, my grace, my payment. And I tell you, the blood of the lamb of God is mine. I wasn't raised in a Christian household, but I came to the point where I realized I needed that splashed on the doorpost and the lintel of my heart. That blood for my sin, big exchange. It's my hope, it's my payment, it's my adoption, it's my forgiveness, it's my joy, it's my invitation, it's my redemption, it's my new covenant. No more 613 commandments. Now I have two. I'm to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all my uh, soul, with all my mind and all my strength, and I'm loved my neighbor as myself. That's what I'm called into. And how do I do that? And I need you to understand that in doing that, we have to eat the whole lamb. We don't get to approach Jesus and surrender our lives to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll do this, 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 and this, but I'm not loving my enemy. The scripture says, love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you and pray for those who despitefully use you. You have to eat that as much as you eat. I have been forgiven by the blood of the lamb. I don't have to be judged anymore. You eat the whole lamb. Not just a part of the Lamb. All of the teachings of Jesus, not just the ones that you like and agree with. And so as often as we bump into one and say, wow, I don't know, we have to change who we are to do that. We don't change what it says to fit our lives. 
Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, centuries-old tradition of the remembrance of Israel. God had passed over them in the death and led them out of slavery and bondage. John says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he enters into Jerusalem. He enters into Bethany six days ahead of that. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, the scripture will say he got up, but he was headed there on purpose. He was not surprised that he got crucified. He was not surprised that he got arrested. He was not surprised that he went through unlawful trials. He was not surprised. It was for this reason Jesus said that. I came, that he would give up his life, not stand in the way, take the bullet, take the shot, take the knife, take the beating. No, 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 no. He said, you stand over there and I will not defend myself and I will let it all happen to me so it doesn't have to happen to you. See, that's a whole lot different than what we're used to in that. And we would say that Jesus was the Passover lamb and so our sins have been paid for. And if we said that, great, but who cares? We would be the most miserable people of all the earth because now our sins are paid for. Who cares what we do? Um, But what does that mean? But then Easter. But then Easter. Now that's a whole different series of events altogether. Easter is not part of Moses' story. It's part of our story. Easter is the expression of the Passover with the power of the promise of the resurrection. See, the church grew back in the day, not because Jesus died for people's sins and they preached that, but because Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God and people said, how can a man be raised from the dead? And today we just say, well, he just was. And we don't get excited about it. But what that meant was death doesn't have a hold on us anymore, that we are, in fact, every one of us going to live forever. It's just a matter of where we're going to live and how we're going to live and what's going to be the end of, with even there not even being an end, just we're going to spend eternity. And God says, you can just spend eternity with me. That's what I want for you. But we live a life where we're like, well, God, don't tell us what to do. We don't want to paint our hearts with blood. And that's gross and nasty, Lord. The Passover lamb that was slaughtered was actually fuel for fleeing. Can I do that without tripping over it? Think about that for a second. Eat the lamb because you're going on a journey. Get something to eat because this is going to be a while before we stop at McDonald's again, kids. Get something in your tummies. Let's do this. But that lamb represented something that was coming, and that something is Jesus. See, the Jews understood when they started talking about a sacrificial lamb and Passover and Jesus, it started making sense to them all of a sudden, and there it was. Can you imagine if, if the resurrection was also part of the Moses story? They eat the lamb, they travel out into the wilderness four days, they set up camp, they get up the next morning, and suddenly there's a whole flock of lambs that have been raised from the dead that they ate. Suddenly, there's little lolly that we had in our house for four days. And I know we we cut her and we ate her and we cooked her and we did all the things, but suddenly we've got a whole flock of lambs again because God raised them from the dead. That would be the continuing story if it was actually part of Moses' story. But it's not. It's part of our story. That Jesus was raised from the dead. Even death could not keep this lamb down. But the death of the lamb had previously left unpaid the debt that Adam and Eve had incurred. We needed a perfect human to finally and willingly die for the sins of humanity and 
it seriously, it is finished. Teletelestai is the Greek word. When Jesus said, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And when he said teletelestai, what he was saying is, in the doing, it is done. It's finished. The debt is paid. You don't owe God anything any longer. You do not have to incur the wrath of God if you don't want to. As a matter of fact, I made such a way and I made it so easy, but we still live in a world of rebellious hearts that say, Lord, don't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are, Lord? Year in and year out, the Jewish people would sacrifice doves and bulls and sheep and goats to pay the interest on a loan that they owed God. Not the principal, the interest. Blood and blood and blood and blood and and millions and millions of animals slaughtered and all they were trying to do was cover up their sins so that God would give them a reprise. A reprise. They would let them have, they could have another year where they didn't have to worry about the wrath of God falling on them and destroying them if they would continue to do these things. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, it says the law, the Old Testament law of Moses, it's only a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect or forgive those who draw near in worship. Otherwise, they wouldn't have to, uh, they would, would they not have stopped uh, being offered? For if the worshipers could have been cleansed once for all um, and no longer have to feel guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an, I'm going to trip over this, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of men. It only covers our sin because it was animals that shed their blood, not a human being who was perfect and without fault. We needed a Savior, not just a sacrifice. And that's what Jesus came to do. Easter is the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. In Mark 9, when he said, they left that place, passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anybody to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, here's the promise, he will rise. They did not understand what he was talking about, but he kept saying it. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 again says, For by one sacrifice Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart. I will write them on their minds. And then he says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We don't have to make sacrifices for our sins. We come in here and we sacrifice um, um, sacrifices of thanksgiving to God with our voices. We lift up praise. We, We bless him for what he's done to us. We come before him not to grovel, but to say, thank you, Dad. I, I, I give candy to your little children every time they walk out of this building to sugar them up and send them home to you. And they get a little dolly, a jolly rancher, and you are constantly telling your child, go back and say thank you to him. It's not lost on me that we're in church and that's what we're trying to do here is to show back up on Sunday and say thank you to him for who he is and what he has done in our lives. And Jesus is that for us. He's our Savior, not just our sacrifice. You and I, his law in our hearts, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourselves. This sums up the law and the prophets. 
See, Jesus had died to, uh, had promised to die for us, and he kept that promise. Jesus promised that he would be raised from the dead, and he kept that promise. Jesus promised that he would ascend into heaven, and he kept that promise. And to me, Easter is a promise. Death, burial, resurrection, and he fulfilled that promise. But then he made us another promise. Then God made you one more promise. I go to prepare a place for you, said the Lord, so that where I am, there you will be also. He said, I will come back and get you. And you and I are waiting on that promise. And I'll just tell you right now that I believe with all of my heart that that promise could unfold in front of our eyes before I die. And before you say, I know, but what about the ashes of the red heifer? And what about this? You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Look what's happened in our nation in the last four years. It unfolded so fast that we almost can't catch our breath. And I'm telling you, that trumpet could blow any second. You say, no, it can't because I, uh-uh. God will determine the day and the time and the hour, not no man. No man knows the day, time, or the hour. God will make it happen. God will see it unfold. Jesus' promise is that he's coming back. And people keep saying to me, and maybe they say to you as well, well, when's this coming back thing going to happen? Let me tell you what Peter had to say about that 1,990 years ago, 2,000 years ago. He said, above all, you must understand that in the last days, and he's the one that said we were living in the last days, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. It's in the news. They are following their own evil desires, and the Lord is turning them over to themselves. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. There it is. 2,000 years later, you and I are still getting asked the same question. They say, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter says, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And the same word that represent, and the same word, the present heaven, by the same word, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But he says, do not forget this thing, Christian, friends, brothers and sisters. Don't forget this one thing. With, a day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. You see, for me, Easter is a promise. It's an, it's an everyday reminder that the trumpet is going to blow. It's an everyday reminder that I'm here for a short time. It's an everyday reminder that I'm not going to die. I am going to live forever. And the choice of where I want to live is mine to make. You and I have been invited by Jesus Christ to surrender our lives to Him and His kingdom work. Not to stand up and expect Him to do the things we want. But He loves you so much. He's not mad at you. He's not put out with you. He's not disgusted with you. Listen to me. He is not repulsed by you. He is not tired of forgiving you day after day as you struggle with the same sin, whatever that might be. 
be you an addict or be you somebody that hasn't read a particular part of the scripture yet. I'm just telling you, the Lord is not fed up with you. He loves you. He is inviting you to put the blood on the lintel, or the, man, the lintel and the posts of your heart. That means surrender your life to Jesus' teachings on this earth. Not because He wants to limit your fun. Not because He doesn't want you to enjoy the life that He gave you. Because He wants it pure and clean so that you're not ashamed or embarrassed and you can live it fully in righteousness because you belong to God Almighty. That's what it's all about. You and I could jump up and down all day long about the fact that up from the, day, the grave He arose with a mighty triumph over His foes. But sooner or later, we're going to have to ask ourselves, what does that mean for me every day? It means I need to recognize that God forgives me and I need to surrender my life to Him. And then I get up and I say, Lord, what do you want from me? Listen, I've been doing this for 30 years. And I know sometimes it is so easy to go to church. It is so easy to fit in. It is so easy to learn the language of church. And then on Monday morning, we're not walking with Jesus because life catches up with us and we let our humanity lead us rather than sacrifice our humanity. And I just want, to, want you to know right now that on Easter Sunday morning in 2023, God loves you so much He wants to put His arms around you. He wants you to know that He forgives you. He wants you to know that He raised His Son from the dead, that there is power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power to push back the darkness. There is power to give up on sin. There is power to walk away from that which tempts us more than anything else, whatever it might be. There is power if we will lay hold of it in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness, and He died one time. He doesn't have to keep dying. Seven times, 70 times a day, you and I are called to forgive each other. Imagine how much love He has for you and how much forgiveness. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him. Blessed. That's for you. I want to invite you to come to your feet. I'm going to pray and we're going to go into this worship song right here. And as we go into this, you can come up here. These people, if, you, if you've been a churchgoer, a religious person, and, and you're like, Joe, I want to tap into that. I want some of what you're talking about in a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've done miracles. Because I'm telling you in Matthew 7, read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. The scripture says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm just saying, there comes a time where we stop and we ask ourselves, have I been in a relationship with Jesus or have I been in a relationship with religion? Because Jesus says, not everybody's going to heaven, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not he who gets baptized, not he who does this, not he who does... Those are symbols of our surrender. But if we don't really surrender, what do we have? I promise you today, God wants to forgive you. And if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I need to be washed in that blood of that lamb, 
then that's what we want to be here for you for. If this is the day where you stop and say, you know what, I need to surrender to that. I've never done that. That's what we want Easter of 2023 to be for you. So we're going to go into this song, and these people would love to pray for you. And if it's something else that you're going through or facing or struggling with, they would still love to pray for you. Just come on up here during the song. Fathers, we come before you. We recognize the blood of the Lamb that is on the post, that is on the door post, that is on the lintel, that is, that is there. We recognize this blood that, that comes from Jesus. He paid the price for our sins. Now we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us how then shall we live? Because we don't want to give up our lives, but we need to, Lord. And we need to wrestle with that. But we don't always understand it. So we come to you right now and we say, let this blood be washed over our lives. We proclaim forgiveness for sins, restoration into the family of God, and love for all mankind. Help us to feel that love today. In Jesus' name.